Hey, hey, welcome back to the Deep Fade on the Aletheo Podcast Network. I am Zach Elliott, joined as always by my best friend, Brendan. Not as always, but yeah, I'm here. <laughs> uh, in absence of Raven this week, who's spending some time with the family, just here with Brendan, who's doing a big favor in helping us out, and I'm always glad to have him. Shout out Raven Gassius the fourth. Ravington, is it Ravington Gassius? Ravington Gassius. Did you just, what was the context of that? For, I Absolutely. remember him just getting mad at me. Or not Absolutely mad. nothing, apart from the fact that he looks like a founding father. I feel like he looks as far from a founding father <laughs> as possible, where he has a full head of hair. That's and just how my not, brain works. You know, old and racist. Anyway, uh, today we're going to run through a little NBA. I prefer over like power ranking and power polls. Just, I think it's really funny when, and I'm sure you can speak to this, uh, when talking football or basketball or anything, it's, people like to talk about the state of the game. So we're just going to call this a state of the game. After that, we'll go through some NFL picks, some storylines we expect to be coming out this week, and so on and so forth. But without further ado, starting at the bottom of the league, the so I mentioned this earlier this week. Oh, yeah, by the way, we're recording on a Friday. Um, I will be out of town next week, so this is something to to put something out within the same realm of time and try recording on a Friday because coming into the new year, the goal would be to be on twice a week, Tuesday and Friday mornings. But that allows us to talk a little more basketball, which I'm always a fan of. Bottom of the league, 30 and 29, kind of in a tier of their own, are the Pistons and the Spurs. As of speaking, the Pistons are a rousing 2-22. and 22. They have a minus 8.4 net rating. Just above them are the Wizards and the Spurs, both at 3-20. and 20. Spurs have lost 18 in a row. Pistons have lost 21 in a row. I put the Wizards above both because I guess they've won more recently, but that was only because there was a game between the Wizards and Pistons where literally someone had to win. All three of them have almost a negative eight point differential or lower. If you're splitting hairs between the three, the Pistons are the most depressing because they have the worst front court that I can remember in a long time where when Jalen Duran is out, Isaiah Stewart gets ejected. James Wiseman fouls out. By the end of this game, they literally didn't have any centers. Prior to that, they had just lost to the Pacers. Um, and it was their best chance of the season, at least during this uh, this losing streak, at least, where you're going up against the Pacers, who are a dominant offense, but a structurally flawed team on defense. This is like the one chance that you have, and they still managed to blow it because their roster construction means that they are not going to hit enough threes to lean into three-point variants where some nights teams just hit a bunch of threes and bad teams beat good teams. The Pistons don't do that because they never hit enough threes to beat those good teams. At least the Spurs have some sort of hope because of Wemby. And, like, if we want to do some pseudo quarter-season awards for the Wizards, uh, the the free my guy award is definitely Denny Avdia, who is 12-5-4 this year. Played Watching the Pelican game... The other night, they lost by like 20 because of course they did, but they jumped out to like 
10, 15 point lead and Avdia had six, three and three in four minutes. He plays active defense and he has the highest assist to usage rate of his career, 1.07, which is 96 percentile in the league per cleaning the glass. He's on a great extension as of this year. Someone good would love him. And he's toiling away with Kuz, who also, I mean, just looks like a competent, confident tertiary star on a good enough team where Poole is going to be the, the tank commander for however many years going forward. I don't know if it's just this one and then they try to send him to the gulag. I don't know if the, he's just going to be the face of this rebuild as they, I mean, this is not a great year to start because tearing it down the studs isn't going to win you a clear clear prize this offseason. I guess right now I'd say Buzelis, but who knows? There's a lot of time between now and then. And with the this is something that I will want to look into and talk about a lot more, but the upcoming draft prospects, and this applies to all three of these bottom teams, are really muddled where last year it was Wemby, obviously, and then debate between Miller and Scoot and then the rest of the guys. And it was a lot more segmented, clearly tiered, and people knew what they were getting. Like when the Trailblazers jumped up in the lottery, people were like, oh damn, they're going to get Henderson or they're going to get Miller. This, like, it could be Buzelas, it could be Alex Sar, it could be the cat from Baylor. Like, it is a bad year to be this bad, especially for someone like the Pistons, who's in year four of this kind of rebuild. The Wizards have better players than all three, I think, at least on the role player side, but I think they're also the most likely to ship them off. So they're a team to watch come trade time. Uh, 27th, 26th, young and confusing teams. Charlotte, currently 7-15, and 15, minus 6.7 point differential. Miller's, Brandon Miller's stats on the year, 14.6 points, 4.2 rebounds, 2.2 assists, shooting over 40% from three. He has done exactly what we expected of him. He looks pretty smooth handling the ball. He, I agree with the, the standpoint that he's kind of a pretty dribbler, i.e. he's a guy that looks great in the gym and can do lots of crazy moves one-on-one with no one watching, but as soon as he steps in the pickup game, he gets stripped a lot. I mean, that's reflected in some of his turnovers where he doesn't average a ton, only 1.5 in close to 32 minutes a game which belies how much uh how much he needs to improve in that area it's not Jalen Brown bad but there are times when he's driving and I am less than confident and in the times that he's not he's selling out for a three that he makes at a great clip it's just that is the part of his game that needs to develop but he has looked better and better and is probably in my opinion, third best rookie so far after improving on the early season was 26 Portland. They are, I believe, almost last. They are 28th in offensive rating. And for a lot of the time this season, they were middle of the pack defensively. I think it shows. Scoot has been horrendous jump shooting, uh, has been able to make up for it a little bit in the mid-range, and he's had one or two hot nights from three that lead you to believe he could have something going forward. There was one night, I forgive me for forgetting, I believe it was against the Pacers too, ironically, where he hit three of four and looked confident, and that just opens up his game so much that he can become some kind of 
Westbrook hybrid where he clearly has the athleticism. He's actually, I believe, still finishing better at the rim than Russ was in his rookie season. So all the tools are there. He's trying defensively. It's just the it's the starting stages of a rebuild. They had a, they've had a couple good nights where they come out and play tough enough defense them and Kamara, Henderson, uh, Shane Sharp has his moments. It's kind of like a younger Anthony Edwards where he was still an overall net negative, but when he just lets his athleticism take over, he can stay in front of anyone. And he has those flying chase down blocks and everything. But again, all of these teams are marching towards the same destination. Charlotte probably being the most disappointing just because they're the most disappointing organization in basketball, in my opinion. But I think Portland showed a little bit of feistiness on on defense that is more encouraging than I expected. And also Aiton averaging lower point totals than he was in Phoenix kind of underlies the point that he was a poor fit on that roster. And at this point, unless he decides to become like better Nurkic himself, his career is kind of stagnating. 25th and 24th uh, teams that are kidding themselves. The Grizzlies. Currently 6-17, and 17. John Morant comes back on Tuesday. He is sorely needed for a team that, as of this ranking, they are 10th in defensive rating and 27th in offensive rating. Ja will definitely help with the former, but not the latter. They missed Steven Adams. I know they didn't have him for the majority of last year. Jaron Jackson Jr. won Defensive Player of the Year. But as anyone who has played pickup can tell you there is a certain kind of energy that you have to expend to be very good on offense and defense and great players can do that however when Jackson and Bain are stepping into primary and secondary offensive roles as opposed to secondary and tertiary offensive roles it negatively affects the defense even though having Jackson bringing in more backup center help has helped they need Ja to come in and be the dynamic facilitator at the point of attack that he was before everything that went down last year. There's no point litigating or relitigating everything that has happened to this point. I don't necessarily agree with it, especially with people like Bridges not getting the same level of suspension. That's a whole separate conversation. But his first game is December 19th against the Pelicans, and I'm going to watch. And that just kind of speaks to the power that Ja has and how amazing he is to watch play basketball. And I just hope that that becomes the only point of discourse for the rest of the season. They need to go on a massive run to even be in play in contention, but I think he's that good. Next, 24th, the Chicago Bulls. 10-16. and 16. They are 5-2 and two without Zach Levine. Granted, two of those losses, one was an overtime loss to the Milwaukee Bucks and where DeRozan put up 40, and then the other one being a loss to Denver. Nothing to be ashamed of, but they did give up 16-6-3 to Julian Strother, which is not a not something to be crazy happy about. They're still bottom 10 in offensive and defensive ratings. At least they were fifth last year. Everything with a pulse except maybe Kobe White should be sent out the door. Levine should have been traded in the offseason. 
DeRozan deserves better, and Caruso is valuable enough that I'm shocked he has not been, not necessarily moved, but that it hasn't been, uh, hasn't been flying around more fervently that people are trying to get him. Vooch had a great night last night and is on a tradable enough contract where he could come in and be somebody's Jonas Valanciunas, play 28 minutes a game as long as you have proper defensive support around him. He's still valuable. Since Levine went out, Kobe White is 26-6-6. Anyone watching last year, he did improve, and I think that he has showed comfort in this offense. But my my major thing with Kobe has always been how pissed Levine looks like anytime he gets the ball. And now that Levine's not on the court, it's kind of a more freeing experience for Kobe, who is like an all-time like late riser where he's already gotten his extension, and now he's finally starting to break out. Not that I'm mad about it. He's still young enough to be a, an important player on whatever the next version of the Bulls is, but you're 10 and 16. Kobe is probably good enough and young enough to be a leader on the next version of this Bulls team, especially because I honestly think last year and this year he improved on defense. Just don't kid yourself. Stop. It's been two years since that Incredible start of the season when DeRozan first got here. You are doing a disservice to whatever young players you have. I'm okay with sending out Williams at this point too, honestly. I don't want to be the next person paying whatever ridiculous contract he has. But hanging on to this guy, these guys only will continue to diminish their value. And that's just, as a front office, if you want to stick around, that is something you have to be more cognizant of. Frankly, they've probably waited too long as is, and they know that if they sell off, they're going to be sold off too, but it is what it is. Next couple groups, Raptors, Jazz, Hawks, Rockets, going from 23 to 20, Raptors really quick, 10 and 14, minus 1.2 net rating, have probably the most valuable trade chip on the market in my mind in Pascal Siakam. Obviously, there's some guys that may appear but he seems the one most apparently available. Him being sent to someone like the Pelicans, someone like the Warriors, especially with the Draymond situation right now, seems more and more likely by the day. The Jazz, Keontae George drops 30 the other night. He looks really good. Otherwise, they're really bad. 9-16, and 16, minus 6 net rating. Looks a little bit better after beating the Knicks, but all told, they have... Uh, they have started how they finished last year. They're still in the midst of the rebuild. Let guys like George continue to, to get more playing time. No disrespect to Sexton or Jordan Clarkson, but he seems more of a, a safe bet to be that ISO scorer type of dude um, as those guys continue to age. Hawks, uh, Trey Young has a podcast now. Good for him. Uh, they are 9-14, and 14, just barely over positive in net rating, which suggests... That the record should be slightly better, but Trey and DeJounte Murray are still too small. They seem not any improved or any worse from the John Collins trade, but Jalen Johnson has been hurt for a few weeks. I know that he was an exciting bright spot, but he's probably not worth four or five wins on his own. He especially he wasn't that good of a shooter while he was in, so he doesn't necessarily address some of the, uh, the spacing issues that this team faces when Trey is 
he we can give up on the on the whole next Steph Curry thing when I don't think that I remember a distinct like anyone who who cares remembers like Curry hitting uh the ridiculous deep shot against the Thunder or just a myriad of highlights. Trey does not have the uh the same range despite regularly pulling up from there. He's a 35% shoot, three point shooter for his career. 35.8 this year, right in line with everything else. It's always been about his shot profile. It's always been about how he is integrating the rest of his teammates. The assist totals are still great. He had 17 most recently against the Raptors, but just like three games prior to that when they lost. It's defense. They're 26 in defensive rating while being six in offensive rating. Without major additions, I don't think Quinn Snyder is enough to save this team's defense if Trey... And credit to DeJounte for the defensive work that he does. They are too small at the point of attack and only got smaller on the back end. Rockets, 11-9, or pardon me, 12-9. Uh, and nine. Still fifth in defensive rating, something that you can most credit to Udoka. A lot, like, again, beating a dead horse here, defense a lot of the time is just, do you want to do it, and then do you have athletic enough pieces? They are so young and athletic with Tari Eason and Jabari Smith and even Jalen Green. Shane Goon has active hands. You know, Fred Van Vliet's there. Who, he's still stout, if nothing else. They, with how bad some of the teams at the bottom of the league have been, like Memphis, Portland, the Jazz, I think they will, at minimum, float around playing contention. But they, Green has been better, and Shangun is my idol. But they still need one more efficient guy because Van Vliet, as much as he brings from a leadership perspective and still plays active defense, he is not an elite point-of-the-attack point guard. Where if they could bring in someone like, I don't know, even a Tyus Jones to come in and spell him and just be more of a facilitator to these guys, or uh, an off-ball spacer, a la Buddy Heald, someone that Shingun can reliably dish out to, I think that would help a lot. And with the defensive infrastructure they've established so far and the work that Yudoka has done to improve this team's overall defense, I think that it is not unreasonable to expect this team to at least hang around 500, which coming into this year with their over-under, I think either in the low 30s or under 30, I think that they uh, they will hang around the play in contention, if nothing else. 19th in a tier of their own. So, a couple things before the obvious Draymond-sized elephant in the room. In the offseason, Clay was offered two years, $48 million, reportedly, to extend with the team long-term. Uh, it seems like a mistake so far that he did not pick that up. Against Phoenix on Tuesday, Beal was back, Booker is still awesome, yada yada. Draymond is insane. Because Nurkic, what, he was getting handsy. Sure, whatever. But Draymond whipping around and just center of the octagon hooking him across the face 
for indeterminable reason. Like, think to last year against the Kings when, after stomping on Sabonis' chest, he was, you know, WWE heel screaming at the crowd. He didn't bother to do that because sitting on the bench, like, him staring straight ahead, you could kind of tell he knew it was wrong. Like, I could see another stupid Jordan Poole-esque documentary about, like, the punch like he did last year for this shit, where he's like, I'm not one for apologizing. Yeah, no kidding. We know. He he is an active detriment because I am all in support for, you know, old school hockey goons. And that's what Draymond's been his entire career. And that is why he's as good as he's been. And that is why he came as a second rounder from Michigan State all the way to an All-NBA and Defensive Player of the Year level player, a likely future Hall of Famer. He has four rings, and he was a huge part of them all. But going back to 16 with him hitting LeBron in the nuts and costing them a game and maybe the finals, to now, he's still a very much game-changing defensive player. But you are actively sacrificing yet another season of Curry being amazing in contrast to his age and injury history. They have some other good players. I mean, Kuminga would be great somewhere else. He still has his flashes. It's his third year, so the fact that it's not all together leads me to believe he just needs to change his situation. Pudzminski is still a good inside-out scorer, and I think he's going to be a great backup for years to come. And as Curry ages, maybe starts next to him, especially if Clay leaves. I think that it is a real conversation to have to put together Draymond for contract, and he's still a valuable defensive player, and Kuminga, and go shopping. Because if you can squeeze even a little bit more juice out of this team, you owe it to Curry to do so. And with all that Draymond has put this team through, I'm not sure that it's owed to him anymore. Pelicans. Currently 14 and 11 with a plus one overall net rating. Zion is still an amazing offensive player. Uh, he and Ingram don't fit together. They're another team that has a sweltering of young dynamic players that would be very much tradable. Dyson Daniels, um, whom I love. Uh, and then you also have versatile wings. Like, I wouldn't trade Najee Marshall, but that's someone that would be valuable for salary cap matching purposes. I said earlier this week that I believe in a Zion for Randall trade. I did look into it. The Knicks have a, uh, a six-plus million dollar trade exception from Obi Toppin to... So it would be feasible to maybe if they wanted a Quentin Grimes thrown in there too and you send back someone like a Marshall and then there's picks involved. All I'm saying is Zion is still a great offensive player. Yes, his weight issues got even more highlighted because they got destroyed by the Lakers and he was on national TV for a lot of people for the first time to see him this season and just to see the way that he looked He's still amazing. He, next time out, might still drop 30. He missed a game against the Wizards recently. But no matter how much gumbo he eats, he is going to be a fantastic offensive player. He's just begging to be injured, and he is clearly either 
abrasive to or ignorant of this scrutiny. So, given a fresh situation. That's all I'm saying. Flying through. Brooklyn, 17. Cavaliers, 16. Uh, Brooklyn still, I mean, Mikhail's been good again. They still don't have that number one star. 13 and 11, they just beat the Suns. Uh, positive net rating. They're, they're kind of like the Rockets to me, where they're going to hang around the play-in conversation. And games where a Giannis or an Embiid or a Jokic just says, I'm not going to lose to a team whose best player is Mikhail Bridges, they're going to lose that night, and that's going to come up in the playoffs where they'll be matched up against the Sixers or the Celtics, and they'll lose in five. But, I mean, credit to them for staying competitive after the, the Durant and Kyrie and Harden stuff. I think they deserve a ton of credit at the end of last year for not completely falling apart and still making the postseason. And they deserve a lot of credit this year for coming out and showing to be a lot better than, uh, than, than they finished last year, honestly. They have been a quality regular season team. Um, credit to the organization for just not throwing in the towel and deciding to suck for the next five years again after making another couple disastrous trades. They seem really good at that. Cavaliers, the more that I watch them, the more that I'm kind of glad that it seems like Mitchell wants to go to the Knicks because every time that Garland is by himself out there, I am excited to watch. There was a game earlier this season where it was it was Garland and no Mitchell going up against the Sixers and they won an OT and it made no reasonable sense Uh he has improved as a defender too, so it's not like he's a complete sieve. He is in like the 80th to 90th percentile in all plus minus stuff, including on defense, honestly. His usage rate isn't insane. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot and gets a ton of assists. His shooting is way down from last year, which is the only thing that I wish they could improve on. But again, a lot of that's just a product of the roster. They are built to be great defensively, but not enough spacing, and that clogs it up. That is the only thing that Mitchell is absolutely good for him for, having another guy to draw attention. Gets Garland, who has a great jumper, better looks. He'll get it above 34% by the end of the season, but for right now, that would be my only critique. Um, I'm kind of out on Evan Mobley being a dominant offensive player, but he is going to win one of the next three defensive player of the years. 15th, 14th, two teams in kind of the same mold. The Pacers at 15, Kings at 14. Earlier this week, uh, Halliburton was third in MVP tracking on NBA.com. He has been incredible this season. I mean, every t you can open Twitter at any time and find whether it's the uh, like the stat muse or the NBA central tweets about something amazing that he's done this season estimated plus minus per dunks and threes. He is in the 98th percentile plus 6.3. He is in the hundredth percentile for offensive plus minus. He is shooting 55% from mid range, 44% from three almost 50, 40, 90 highest assist percentage in the league. And he only turns it over 11% of the time. A 4 to 1 ratio on that at the volume that he produces is incredible. It's Steve Nash stuff. And he does all this while keeping his usage down. He is the perfect, perfect player for a run and gun team. 
it is just kind of a bummer that their defense is so terrifically horrendous that it's going to prevent them from actually producing producing outcomes that are are commensurate with how fun it is for this team to watch because I want the fun teams to win. And as fun as Indiana is, set they are second in offensive rating, they are 29th in defensive rating. As as much as we want to say oh offense is the only thing that matters. I think Denver last year at like 14th in defensive rating was the lowest defensive rating of a champion in a long time. Credit to everyone else on the team too, Aaron Neesmith. Uh, credit to a couple of great stats from John Schumann at NBA.com. Aaron Neesmith has had an effective field goal percentage of 66% this season, which is up over 14%. The biggest jump among 214 players with at least 200 field goal attempts this season. Obi Toppin has seen the biggest jump in true shooting percentage among those same players, a credit to his three-point shooting. They have the league's biggest jump in effective field goal percentage this season. There was a, a stretch last year where Halliburton got hurt, and that dragged down their overall, overall offensive rating to about 21, but it was 14th when they had him, and they have credit to Carlisle. I said a lot about coaching. Credit to all these guys who are really finding ways to unlock great players. In the same vein, the Kings, also offensive-focused. They are noticeably worse ratings-wise, where kind of like last year, they continue to pull out these close games. They're 14-9, and nine, but I believe 18th in the league in net rating at just over one or just over break-even at zero. I love Malik Monk, and I love Fox this year. Monk is still 14-3-5 on 43-43-90 on the second highest minutes total of his career. Fox is still 29, four and six. I'll be interested at the end of the year because they're in a real battle for those all NBA guard spots because depending on how you want to designate it, Halliburton, Shea, Luca, and Curry, it's kind of hard to imagine that those guys aren't first or second team if you're qualifying them all as guards. Which, you know, I know Luca is 6'7", but he brings the ball up every play. He plays point guard. If you do it by the traditional organization of all NBA teams, he might be third team at the season ends today, which is absolutely unbelievable. Go back, what, 10, 15 years, and Doc Rivers is complaining about how we don't have any point guards. Well, I found them. 13th, Dallas Mavericks. Dante Exum. This point in the season, he is shooting 50, 40, and 67. So that last number leads me to believe that it might be a little bit of regression coming, but he went to Europe. He found himself out. He's come back. He still plays that defense. He is still long. I still have never given up on him. I just need Jarrett Culver to come back and be good again, and everything will be great. Uh, Luca, I think that if... The Mavericks can push to a higher seed this season. He will be one of the MP MVP frontrunners. Uh, Kyrie needs to stay healthy for them to do anything in the playoffs. But kind of the same conversation I just had about the Kings and the Pacers. Their defense is just too bad. They're still 25th in defensive rating. Um, you can outscore every team in the league during the regular season, but at the end of the day, you're going you're gonna to run into a wall 
in the postseason when Kyrie and and Luca get attacked over and over again. Luca can hold up just physically, but like as we've said for his entire career, he is not a, a dominant physical presence on defense. And that's not gonna change. Bench has been good enough. Shout out Derek Lively, still playing great center minutes. But unless something drastic changes in terms of, you know, grabbing another defensive wing, I'm possible. But who is it? They traded Dorian Finney-Smith. And I mean, like, that kind of guy is the first that comes to mind. You can get a Harrison Barnes to bring him back. But you're not getting, I mean, they tried to sign Matisse Thibault. Maybe they reach out to the Blazers again. I don't know. That is the kind of guy that could they plug him in for 30 minutes a night playing lockdown defense that could make a real difference with how everyone else has been playing 12th the heat i i think he's not rookie of the year but i think Jaime Hawkins is my favorite rookie so far this season because the heat are back to their devil magic ways they're 14 11 but 19th in net rating at just under half a point positive net rating he has really great synergy with Butler. Uh, there was one, it was the weirdest, like, sort of lob, but also just dart as Butler was cutting on the baseline that he hit him square in the hands and it was straight up. And I don't know, they just have two or three of those plays a night. And he has a sneaky good handle too, alongside that vision and everything else. He is 12, three and a half, two and a half. Doesn't hurt either with good efficiency. Especially from three, he has a good-looking jumper, which makes me think it's going to last. I think that if he didn't have funny hair, he could have been drafted like 10 spots higher. Uh, Shout-out Thomas Bryant for having good energy as a backup. Having someone big behind Bam, who's competent, is always good. Uh, the Suns at 11, they finally have all three stars back, so it's kind of an incomplete analysis on this team at all. They're 13-11, and 11, and they just lost to the Nets despite having all three of their stars, which, you know, growing pains. But I don't really feel comfortable evaluating the team when they just got everyone back. Uh, Nurkic, credit for trolling Draymond after the game to just being like, I don't know what's wrong with him, man. Uh, all-time instigating, A-plus work. I just wish that he had less shots at the end of the game. Uh, tenth, the Knicks. They lost to the Jazz. That was weird. I stand by my Randall point. But otherwise, he's improved. I mean, again, they're kind of the same team as last year, where they're middle of the pack both on offense and defense. They pull it out at the end of the games. Jalen Brunson has been magnificent. The the Villanova quartet that they've built there clearly has good chemistry. DiVincenzo has fit in well on that team. Uh, Brunson has... The most notable thing being him increasing his volume from three while still shooting, at the moment, over 42% per game. His rim finishing is way down. He's never been great. He's a small guard, but that's something that, if it improves, it could elevate their offense even more if he's able to put real pressure on the rim. He keeps his usage percentage in the 26s to 27s, so he's not dominating the ball as much as he could be for a player of that caliber. Um, also, shout out R.J. Barrett, who I've lost money on his points totals plenty of times, but I think that he's been playing the best defense of his career and has been, 
I don't. I think it's unfair to say for the first time he's been a positive presence out there, but I think it's the first time he's been a consistently positive presence. Running through some of the top 10. Ninth, Orlando. I love them. My only concern is that Franz and Paolo's skill sets are quite overlapping. Neither shoots particularly well, and although Paolo is averaging over 23 over a recent stretch of games, having complementary pieces, cough, cough, buddy healed, to help offset their similarities in game would help a ton. Their defensive rating is still in the top five, and Jalen Suggs is literally in the 100th percentile of defensive plus minus at the time of this note-taking. They need shooting, but having an identity is more valuable at the moment, and Suggs and a lot of the Suggs and Fultz and Carter, when he's back up to speed, really embody that. Uh, same kind of deal with the Clippers here at eight. They were really bad when Harden first got there, and they have been a lot better. And they deserve credit. I still think come postseason time, I'm going to be really curious to see how it works. But now that they're healthy and Westbrook has really embraced taking more of a backseat role, averaging less minutes, and just dominating the ball less over the last several games, they still have their moments where they'll stagnate, kick around, and Westbrook takes a weird three. That is just a product of having four guys who want the ball, but Harden is a system unto himself. And not having Embiid and him being back in a situation where it's him and wings and then a a rim-running defensive center in there, a la Clint Capella, now Ibiza Zubats. He has one of the most fascinating careers that I can remember, both in, like, what he has clearly taken away from teams going into la- like last season, him leading the league in assists, him going into Boston and dropping 40 and winning a game without Embiid. All incredible. All the belly aching this offseason. Daryl Morey is a liar. Whatever. That aside, maybe he's justified in that, honestly, with if some of the reporting coming out that if he really was not out for them, Max, after being promised it, then look, like, I don't think it was handled professionally, but if that's what he's promised, that's what he's promised. I want to watch more of them again before I give an in-depth report, but they deserve a lot of credit for starting to figure it out. And again, back to coaching. Tyron Lue never gets enough credit for how amazing he is. Moving on. Seven, Lakers. LeBron winning the end season was great for its inception. Same with the Lakers handy. Hanging that banger, that, that banner, I know people were passing around a Kobe clip saying that the Lakers only hang championship banners, but like, come on, that don't, hey, don't use that clip like that. But also, I think this is good for the league. LeBron is still above average in every meaningful offensive manner across the floor. He's currently shooting about 40% from three on almost six a game, which like, I don't think it's talked about enough where it's always been like people make fun of like the little hezzy step back three that he looks down at the ball and you know that he's going to take it. Um, this has this just shouldn't be happening. 80 was great in the end season, but is still struggling with consistency. Every one of their three best qualifying lineups is AD and LeBron, apparently Tori and Prince, and then two spacing threats. D'Angelo Russell and Reeves or Max Christie. Shout out for Michigan State legend. LeBron has too much of a burden. 
So I will just be curious to see that if AD can play consistently, that completely solves that. And they are still predominantly the team that made the, the Western Conference Finals last year. But I just hope LeBron holds up because every time I watch, I continue to be amazed and I'm going to be sad when as much as I am not going to get into the debate about his hierarchy all time. One thing you can say is that no one else has ever done this and I am hard pressed to believe anyone will ever do it again. Bucks at six. Yannick drops 64 against the Pacers. Shocker. Uh, Bucks record and personal career high. And I think it was kind of, it was the stupidest, like, quote unquote, blank gate. People called it ball gate, which is hilarious. But like the whole stealing the ball and then him after the fact saying that he just wanted to give it to Dame for passing Kyle Korver on the all time three point lead. It's stupid as hell and doesn't deserve anyone's time. But um, I kind of hope that the Pacers gave him a fake ball because it would just make him charging to the locker room all that much funnier. The team seems somewhat lackadaisical despite their record. Malik Beasley is possibly the worst defender I've ever seen. Dame is less efficient. Milton is less efficient. And overall, their defense is still struggling. This is not anything new. They're old and slow. Their defensive rating has improved. It was in the dregs in the 20s. Now it's about 18th. Their offense is still top 10. And I think they are starting to figure it out somewhat just balancing out rotations, but Giannis has been amazing. I think they need another, whether it's like getting Javon Carter back, someone like that, just because you don't have great perimeter stopping options at the moment. Just having someone right next to Dame to eat up some of the defensive assignments or whoever spells him to be a positive defensive presence would make a huge difference. I think that if they continue to try and figure it out on defense that they are just as good as Philly. It also relies on Dame being consistent. He has not been as efficient or consistent as years past, but X factors are having someone to make a defensive difference and Dame's consistency. Cause Giannis is not a problem. Top five real quick, Oklahoma city. Chet is awesome. Everyone is awesome. I will not, uh, address part of their starting lineup, but every starter is playing pretty well. Shea right now at the season ended as a first-team All-NBA guard. And you can say they're ahead of schedule, but it kind of feels on schedule. They're top 10 in offense and defense. Their strength of schedule is like middle of the pack. They play fast, but not the fastest, so you can't just attribute it to being a young team. Everything about this feels sustainable, but kind of like a much better b- version of the Pelicans. They have all these young guys that I really want them to put together, Where whether that is Isaiah Joe, whether that is, I mean, if you really want to make a power play to a star, putting Jalen Williams in the deal. Sending out he who shall not be named. Actually having that many assets and being this good does not happen. And as they know from when Durant and them made the finals, the window closes fast. Don't let it close too fast. Chet's going to win Rookie of the Year. Uh, Philly at number four. 
still second in the league in, in uh, net rating, top 10 in defense, despite uh, some of the defensive shortcomings of their guards. But bringing in Covington Batum, Embiid has been as good defensively as he's been in years. And if the season ended today, I would give him another MVP. The Nuggets, I have third. Again, I just don't really want to evaluate them until they have Murray back. They've still been good enough to win games because Jokic is that damn good. They are better than last year on defense, currently sitting at 12th, you know, third in the league in defensive rating. They've had a really rough offensive strength of schedule, meaning that they've played some hot teams on the wrong nights, including uh, including the Chicago Bulls, but don't worry, they shut them down. Uh, number two, I was really conflicted between the Celtics and the Timberwolves. They're both 18 and five. If you look at some of the peripherals, Boston's defense or Boston's offense grades out way better than Minnesota's. Not way better, but significantly better. Just purely off vibes. You know, it's my ranking. I'm going to take the Timberwolves number one and Celtics number two. I think if you put them in a playoff series together, I would take the Celtics, but I think they just deserve so much credit because for situations like a Zion and an Ingram or, I don't know, even like Brunson and Randall, there are these pairings of guys that just never work out. We go into last year and they, there were injury issues and peripheral issues around the roster and Edwards was still 21. He's 22 now, but the year has made a difference. They have righted the ship so drastically and Ant has been such a good leader for this team that the Gobert and Towns pairing not only looks good, it seems to be salvaging what, at the end of last year, was the worst trade in American sports history. It's still bad because Utah still has all those picks, and if this is a one-season thing, then that's going to look terrible. But Gobert is still a great defensive player. I would put him second or third in Defensive Player of the Year right now, even in his early 30s. Towns doesn't have the pressure of being the guy anymore because everyone accepts that it's Ant, and he has played such free, awesome basketball without facing the scrutiny of the lead star player. I think the Timberwolves are going to end the season with the number one seed. Whether or not they can perform in the playoffs, we've seen teams like this before go back into the late 2000s with, it's not a perfect analogy, but like the Mavericks winning games in the 60s. I don't think that they're, they're going to lose to the eighth seed. There's no We Believe Warriors lingering. But they are the story of the season. They're why we like watching basketball. We'll be right back with some picks and some of the storylines we look forward to next week in football. And we're back. So running through NFL games this week. First, we have to start with last night. News came out this morning right before recording that one Brandon Staley was fired. Yeah, that eliminates the need for that discussion whether or not he should be because he I think just he was. Well, I think saying I don't know if I'll be the coach tomorrow kind of cemented that it probably wasn't going to look great. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I'm not a fan of him as as a dude, so I wasn't exactly super empathetic for, for him. I think he's kind of a weird guy. 
and not a great coach? I think he's just an internet dude. He was a blogger who wrote a bunch of defensive blogs, then got a job. All I could think about is that that pre-game pre-game stretch routine that he had going on. <laughs> Can't get that image out of my head. Um, yeah, if you just look at some of the... Well, A, if you look at it, it looks like a quarterback duel with Aiden O'Connell, boiler the hell up, 20 for 34, 248, and four touchdowns. And Easton Stick, pride of North Dakota, 257 and three touchdowns. But, like, the Raiders got a 42 nothing at half. I think the line on this game was 36 and a half. And they overshot that in two quarters. Also a scoregami, I'll have you know. I don't even know what that means, to, be, to you, be honest. You don't know what scoregami is? I see it going around all the time, but I don't know what that means. Okay, scoregami, it's a Twitter account. You need to follow it. Scoregami is an account that tracks any and every NFL score, and it tells you whether or not it is a unique score. So, like, is that the first time that this score has happened? So, like, when the Broncos won 70-20, to 20, that was a scoregami because a score of 70 to 20 has never happened. Why well, is this one? So this one's never happened before? It was yes. what, 62 to 21? 63 to 21 is a mm-hmm. scoregami the first time that that score has ever happened. Amazing. It's sick. It's also the second time since, I believe, 1941 that two teams have scored over 60 points. Or no, 1971. That was way too long ago. 1971, that two teams have scored over 60 points in a game in the same season. Yeah. Yikes. Shout out Scorigami had to let the viewers know. Yeah. The Raiders, uh, at least one of the Raiders accounts treated it out too. Uh, There was also a tweet from the Chargers account that said we scored just in all lowercase. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) While they were down by 40 points. Is this the dagger? Oh, I love that. So much. Uh, shout out for Devontae Adams for finally being good when I'm already eliminated. Yep. All right. We have three Saturday games. Do you like Saturday football? Oh, I love it, actually. I mean, I think that, what, do they just do it because college football is done monopolizing that day? or Yeah, because people will, they'll get more eyeballs. I know it's an antitrust thing, too, that they're not supposed to be airing NFL games when they're when the college football regular season is going on, I believe. And also, like, it's the same reason that the NBA avoids uh, scheduling a ton of games on Sunday. They still mm-hmm. do it sometimes because for whatever reason. But Vikings, Bengals, Vikings at Bengals, both teams seven and six. Going into the season, did you think this would be have major wild card implications for both sides? Well, I mean, yeah, but not not <laughs> it's, like it's, this. It's a hard, yeah, no, it's a hard topic to discuss. It's like they're both on their backups, so I'd say like backup of backups. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean for the Vikings case, yeah, but I I would have thought that they were both caliber like wild card caliber teams, but. Not after losing their main guys. I mean, Kirk Cousins and, and Burrow seem to be, like, everything to those offenses. But, I mean, apparently not. They're both sticking around, so. So that was – because, like, I know McVay and uh, Shanahan especially 
mostly Shanahan, get credit for squeezing the most out of quarterbacks. So I know that it's okay. I don't think that Zach Taylor is bad. I've never thought he was terrible. But is it more that he's getting coached up or that Jake Browning is actually good? Because I'm inclined to believe that because Zach Taylor is his coach, that Browning is just way better than he was given credit for when he actually had to come in for Burrow. Man, that was a that's a, that's a really good prompt actually. I mean, he uh, I I heard that he was a good prospect going into college. He, he was probably awesome had, at Washington. Yeah, he probably had you know his moments at college. So I I think that. Him as a prospect, I think he's definitely NFL caliber, and that you know he's proved that, done enough to prove that. But uh, yeah, I'm. I mean, I don't want to sit here and hype up Zach Taylor. Obviously, that's hard for me to do as a Ravens fan. But it's got to be something. It's got to be something going on in the system that allows him to prosper like that. I mean, don't don't undersell the weapons. Also, I mean. T. Higgins and and Jamar Chase at sure. your disposal always nice, but man, you got to give that that offense credit for you know keeping their heads up after losing their main guy Joe Burrow, who's clearly done so much for that franchise. It it's especially impressive considering I would, uh, I mean it depends how you want to rank it, but like I don't think the Bengals defense is all that good. I I think they can, uh, they have a good coordinator who can like give you an edge in certain spots, but especially in the secondary, I have my question marks. Hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't know. I mean, it's no it's no secret that they lost some of them in the offseason. Pass rush is good. I think Hendrickson is one of the most underrated players in the league. But it's been Browning. I mean, they gave up all those points to the Jags, and, like, I know he got – and then Browning got hurt last week, but – I think he gives them a real chance to win. I wouldn't pick him in a playoff game. Never pick a pl- backup in a playoff game, but unless it's Nick Foles. Unless it's Big Dick Nick. But, like, I think, yeah, the the Bengals are at home only favored by three. I think if Browning is fully healthy, that they might lay the smackdown on them. Man, you're, you're talking about the, the Vikings or just any playoff team? I'm saying that the Bengals... At least for the rest of the regular season, I guess a team like the Vikings, if Browning is completely healthy and not feeling any lingering effects, I think that the Bengals are going to win by a lot. Mm, yeah. Uh, Steelers at Colts, another battle of seven and six teams, this time both in the AFC in direct competition for the same wild card spot. I mean, it, it's the Colts, right? But it's Minshew against a good defense again. And there's just always this eminent fear that he's going to go back to sucking. Hmm. Kind of like Foles, who ironically was also on the Colts at one point, where there's always a little bit of uh, ambient or uh, like lingering Minshew magic. But at a certain point, Steelers' defense is still good. Not in the secondary. It seems like they always give up 120 yards to number one wide receivers. But... I think you have to take the Colts just because Mitch Trubisky might be worse than like sixty quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Yeah, no, he wasn't. He hasn't been looking so hot. I mean, he's lucky he, Tim Boyle exists. Otherwise, <laughs> he would be the worst quarterback to start this year. In the in the world of NFL, I don't think Tim Boyle does exist anymore. I think he's he's done. <laughs> would you rather have 
Tim Boyle or Jay Cutler right now? <laughs> That's a great question. I'd take Jay Cutler, honestly. He's had some time to rest. <laughs> exactly. He's still got a cannon on him, I believe. Unless he's like Drew Brees and went into retirement and lost his ability to throw the football. But I don't think Drew Brees... I think I would also take Drew Brees over <laughs> Trubisky. Have him um, come out of the booth. He's not very good in it, so that's not much of a loss. I'm sorry. Take left-handed Drew Brees. Right. Um, it's at home. The Colts are favored by a slight edge. I think this is going to be a sloppy mess of a game. Um, I think that the Colts' defense... I mean, it's the Steelers. Like, there's no defense except for maybe, like, the Cardinals that is bad enough in my mind to give up a impressive showing to the Steelers at this point just because I don't believe in Trubisky and I didn't believe in Pickett, even without Canada weighing them down. But I don't know. I guess I'll take the Colts. Yeah, there's absolutely no way the Steelers... There's not up. that much. It's a, it's a pretty yucky game between... Like, I get it. I think it's kind of fun with all the backups that are in right now to talk about, but, like, is it, though? Is what? Is it is it that fun to have this many bad quarterbacks? Because I know, like, it's funny to talk about Jake Browning and Gardner Minshew and Nick Mullins, but, like... We didn't actually touch on Nick Mullins. Because you don't need to. <laughs> I Honestly, I don't have much faith. I, Mullins or Dobbs, like, pick your poison. There's not really any like any question mark over his head, really, is there? I mean, we've seen him play. Yeah. like It's not good. There was a time where there's some weird stat where it's the most, like, most yards to start a career, and Nick Mullins is one of them just because he was with Kyle Shanahan for a time. But, like, you know what you're getting. It's Dobbs, but in a different flavor. Yep. Uh, Saturday night football, Broncos at Lions. Lions just lost to the the soaring JF1-led Bears, and uh, the Broncos are a game back of the Chiefs, mm. who we'll obviously get to, but are going into Foxborough where, you know, Patri the Patriots are terrible, but weird stuff happens there. There's a non-zero chance that coming out of this week, if the Broncos win on Saturday, then they would be tied with the Chiefs, and they have split their matchups. So at that point, it comes down to conference record, and I don't know who has it better off the top of my head. Like, I don't know. I think it's possible. I mean, shoot. I, I'm going bold saying it on the record and everything, but... I am completely anticipating a Broncos win here, and it might not be in close fashion either. Why? Well, <laughs> I mean, look at look at me, right? I mean, I've watched the Lions play against the Ravens, and I've watched them play against the Bears, and I don't like what I see at all in their team. I think that there were some early successes that boosted a lot of the numbers for them. But since the middle of the season, like week seven, eight, they've been one of the worst defenses in the league. I think that their cornerbacks, including, um, was it Fulton that they got from the Steelers, that they can't hold up in extended coverage. 
and their pass rush. Elite McDill is a great run defender, and Hutchinson sets a good run edge, but like they don't get consistent enough pass rush to to bother quarterbacks. And if your back end can't hold, like this, I'm just explaining football at that point. Uh, if the offense is firing, they can still outscore anyone, but it's looked kind of yucky. Yeah. The I last mean, couple of weeks where Goff has looked like Rams Goff again. It's become evident that the team just has exploits. I mean, a, a lot of teams do, but I feel like the Broncos are a really fortified organization at this point under Sean Payton. Which is crazy to say after the yeah, start of the year. It really is. And I just think a team that's as solid as them is going to have their way with a team like the Lions. I think if they go into Detroit and beat the Lions, that I kind of have to... I'm going to pick them as a playoff team. Yeah. Honestly, I agree. I agree. Because like you can say what you will about these close games, and they just lost to the Texans recently. But like, if you go into Detroit and beat someone that the entire year we've considered a, def- a genuine contender, then... I have no choice but to say, A, that they need to be taken seriously, and I forgive me, I, the name of their defensive coordinator is escaping me, but he deserves job offers for turning this team from a 70-point giver-upper to, like, one of the top 10, top 5 even, over the last 5 or 6 weeks. Falcons at Panthers in the doo-doo early Sunday game spot. Um... Every NFC South team, aside from the Panthers, obviously, needs to win for the sake of their jobs and their coaches' jobs. I I mean, I don't think that I'm out of bounds saying that even Desmond Ritter can beat up on the Panthers. I would hope. This does feel like one of the... This does feel like the kind of game that the Panthers will sneak out just to make all the Bears fans sweat for the rest of the year of whether or not they're going to win another game. I think the Falcons are only favored by three which, like, is super fishy to me because it implies that they're only a field goal better while they're in Carolina, and those type, uh, those type of spreads often can get funky, and it's a divisional game, whatever. I kind of want to pick the Panthers just because it feels like a perfect falcony opportunity but what do you think <laughs> honestly i i completely see where you're coming from on that especially as as a fan of the bears and somebody who's used to getting shit like that happening to them but uh Fuck off. <laughs> i mean yeah they are still trying to win which is something that people need to take into account i know they that. really want to like the pats the front office doesn't care if they win. I mean, I know front offices don't like to admit that they're tanking, but players take stuff into the account like that. Coaches do too. And these these guys, they have no reason to not win. I'm they sure just, Josh Harris is mad every time the commanders win. They like, unfortunately suck, but they are still going to try. And we're talking about a team like the Falcons here that they're going up against. So I definitely see a great possibility for an upset. I think I, I'm just going to take them. At least because I they're not bare minimum. I don't think people should be that surprised if they pull this one out. I don't think they're going to be a one in 16 team. I think they're going to get at least one post rake win. And if I had to pick one, this would be it. Yeah. So I'm comfortable going that way. Okay. Bears at Browns fields V Flacco. Oh, last tangent. Uh, Tickets to that game can be bought for uh, 
45 cents as of right now. <laughs> almost forgot. Yeah, almost forgot to add that. Oh, no. <laughs> Just on resale? Yeah, no. That's what I've seen. Who's selling their NFL tickets for 45 cents? I don't know, but... It's, it's I'm not clearly, sure I'd pay for that. Clearly not a sought-after game to go to, but if you live in the era, area in Carolina, uh, you should. a football game for <laughs> 45 cents. Okay. Fields and Flacco. Um, this kind of feels like... Okay, again, I am very much against the keep fields agenda but this feels as good an opportunity as any for that to be flipped on his head with as amazing as the browns defense still is garrett's been banged up but can flacco continue his run of dominance mm. i mean i love Your boy i love joe but love joe i seriously need the bears to pull this one out in for the sake of the ravens sure but yeah. like Come I on. really don't want to see the Browns in the playoffs. Come on. Uh, well, you sound like you want them to win. <laughs> yes, over, I do. Over your Bears. I just, I just need, I just need them to draft Williams. Mm. Yeah. And like, as long I don't want anyone to get hurt. I don't want anything, like, to just cast too much negativity. But just every. Like all these clips were, they, they were doing a thing outside of, I think, Soldier, where they had a phone that like Bears fans could pick up and call and pretend they were calling like the goddamn McCaskies or whatever and telling them to draft Marvin Harrison. And I'm like, I hate all of you old hosses who do not understand rookie. I'm not, not okay. <laughs> Topic for a whole nother I'm going to take the Browns because I think their defense is good enough. And if, Flacco plays even comparable to how he's been. They'll put up enough points to match. Yeah, unfortunately. Their I pass agree. rush is good enough. Uh, Actually, I mean, I don't know if I would go as far as to say the Bears will win, but I would expect a good performance and a good showing from their defense here. Their defense has been a lot they've, better. They've, that they've I, been really hot, and uh, I think that they could put – an end to Flacco's little miracle run on. It on feels offense. like a seventeen to fourteen run. I just like the Browns' infrastructure better. And yeah, they might put up just enough points to come out on top, but I think that the Bears can hold Flacco and the offense to like seventeen or less for sure. It's gonna be a stupid game. <laughs> yeah. Buccaneers at Packers. Again, another bat. All these like middle of the pack, six and seven, five and eight teams are playing this week, but. Buccaneers at Packers. Uh, again, big playoff implications. Somewhat interdivisional. If the Lions keep losing, every NFC North team winning matters. But I, I think they still have a big enough lead that I wouldn't be too concerned about that if I was them. That if they lose this week, then yes. But uh, love and them losing to the Giants was kind of a tough blow because if you come into this week at seven and six prior to going up against a, like, scrappy but flawed Buccaneers team, and if the Lions lost again and you'd be within one, I think that it's kind of underrated how bad that loss to DeVito and them were. Because if you're a team with actual playoff aspirations, you have to beat the damn Giants. (laughs) Yeah, you really do. I, I hear that going around, that it's just one of those losses that you can't take as a playoff. I think if you look back... I like whether or not the DeVito thing runs its course or not, that might be the backbreaker 
when it comes down to it. You're going to have a really bad wild card team in the NFC, so it's not like they're out of it. But that was kind of a golden opportunity to pad the schedule. Yeah, solidifying your opportunity to receive a free whooping as the seventh seed in the the playoffs in the NFC. Mike Evans, fantasy assassin, uh, bounce back, maybe. I mean, Packers can at least match up against number ones with Jair, but uh, uh, I think the Packers need it more. It's at Lambeau. It's going to be cold as hell, and they're coming from Tampa. I think that's an advantage. Mm. I know that it doesn't matter that much, but especially because Mayfield played in Cleveland forever. I dip, but but Packers. Fair enough. Jets at Dolphins. It's not Tim Boyle this time, so it'll probably be a little better. TB twelve. Um, I mean, there's really not much conversation about who we actually think is going to win, but the the Dolphins losing to the Titans. I don't think got that much publicity when they lost at home to a bad team. And it's, again, I think we said it earlier in the week that, like, going into the playoffs, those are the kind of games that we're going to look back upon if they lose in the first round. Mm. Where it's also the kind of thing that if you really want the the first round by, which for a team like the Dolphins, who have been battling some defensive injuries and uh i know teron Teron armstead has missed a little time too that with certain vets having that buy can be the difference between a short playoff run and a long one i mean go back to the pats their entire run of dominance it was talked about a little but having that buy every time even if their older guys were struggling with injury they always had time to recover and they we're better off playing a rested three-game playoff run than a banged-up four. So I know Tua, yada, yada. Tyreek's had some minor injury stuff. Like, again, he's been so amazing. Not that great last week. I think his MVP case is probably dead, unfortunately. But, again, one week can make all the difference. So, like, if... It's 14 to 10 at halftime, and Zach Wilson has 150 and two touchdowns. I'd, I'd be a little worried. Yeah. Not, not that I think that the Dolphins are going to miss the playoffs or anything, just that I think you need to really be tightening up if you want to make a Super Bowl run. And I know that that might be weird to say, but with how this team has been talked about all year, it's like it's them, it's the Ravens, it's, I mean, like, Lawrence is banged up. The Chiefs have been completely mercurial all year. Like, they're right up there with the Ravens and, in my opinion, the Bills. Like, but the Ravens are separating themselves and the Dolphins aren't. Yeah, I mean... I still as, think they're going to win, but... As a Dolphins fan, you probably... I'm, I'm not a Dolphins fan, but... I know. You, you gotta think about last year and what it was like losing all those games in, like, December slash January. And I know there was no Tua but there's still the rest of the team there. And that collapse probably remains to have a lot of implication on, on their play and their mentality in this, this portion of the season. So I don't know. It's something to be worried about for sure. And that, that loss against Tennessee, like you said, I think that it shouldn't fly under the radar. It should really be impactful and they should, you It know. might make all the difference. Yeah, exactly. 
Giants at Saints, who do you think hate in their city hates the quarterback more? New Orleans or New York with Daniel Jones and Derek Carr, respectively? Mm, that is a good question. I mean, I <laughs> my my reference for a Saints fan, I think Dean Seesaw. And <laughs> and he actually is a Derek Carr believer. So my one I didn't know those those existed. I know you wouldn't think so, but uh, I see a lot of hate for Derek Carr. I mean, Dean Cson aside, but stop saying his name. <laughs> Thou who shall not be named. But uh, yeah, uh, I completely understand the disregard or hate for Derek Carr from a football playing standpoint. I mean, he's a great guy, but football playing wise, <laughs> I don't even been, know about that. He is then. Yeah, I mean, not been playing well. I mean, it's kind of hard to avoid. He's averaging like two yards per attempt in like the third quarter. He's also, you know, been said to have been having rib injuries, rib problems this year. He's super banged up. And I mean, at that point, why are you still playing him if he is so hurt that it affects his performance? When you have arguably the most qualified, best backup in the league, I'd give him some plays. At least time. the most fun one. Yeah, exactly. And I know they want to fight for the playoff spot, but I mean, realistically, Jameis Winston is going to give you the best shot at this point right now. Do you think that Daniel Jones is going to get a starting job back next year? <sighs> I mean, I it hurts me to say yes, but yeah. If the I Giants think. make the playoffs, if they win out. Oh, if they make the playoffs, then that that changes the the story a lot, actually. I think there's a scenario where it happens. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen either, but, you know, I, honestly, I'll take the Giants just because I think they have a more, um, they definitely have more momentum and are more confident around their, their QB. Yeah, the I mean, side. I love when what, I, I, expect- what I saw from the Italian Stallion, Mr. DeVito. When, uh, yeah, when Carr goes out in the second quarter and Jameis comes in mid-game again, like, I just, I can't have confidence in a team winning when I am pretty sure that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Texans at Titans. Is is Stroud playing? I'm pretty sure uh, Collins isn't, but, like, I don't think we know yet. Yeah, I don't think there's any confirmation. I think that there was... Something. I think the concussion rules have lightened up slightly where earlier in the year, if you got concussed the week before, you weren't playing the next week. Yeah, uh, I think... Well, what we know is that he went through protocol and it was concur- <laughs> okay. confirmed. Okay. No, it was confirmed that he had the concussion, yeah. right? So I don't think he's going to play next week. I think we're going to have to anticipate on some Davis Mills, Money Mills football. Yeah, Mills to John Mechie was disgusting. Granted, the weather was terrible, but, I mean, Levison and Henry pulled it out last week. If they don't have Stroud, again, it's hard to pick, but if they don't have Stroud, it's the Titans. And honestly, Okay, if they have Stroud, I'm I would say the Texans if they don't the Titans. I know that's a cop out. I just I think Stroud is enough on his own and the Texans defense will bother Levis enough that if they can even get like 17 points on them, they'll probably win. It's just a matter of I don't think Davis Mills will be able to do that, but I do think Stroud will. Yeah, I mean, I for one remember what the Texans were like 
without CJ Stroud and Davis yeah, Mills. Yeah, a year ago. <laughs> yep. So I can't help but think that it's going to revert back to that kind of It's going to look a lot the same. Yeah. yeah. So I and would definitely take the Titans. Yeah, for an experienced team like the Titans. Yeah. I stand by it, but for now I'll say Titans because I don't think that Stroud is going to play. Yeah. Uh, Chiefs at Pats. Okay. The answer is the Chiefs, but... Again, if you wake up on, or let's say we wake up on Monday and we're talking about it and say it's like, I can't believe the Chiefs are tied with the Broncos in their division because they went into Foxborough and lost. <laughs> like, if there is a place for something like that to happen, it is in Belichick's house during a downstretch for the Chiefs. <laughs> I mean, normally I'd agree, but I just, I think, the life has been taking out, taken out of Bill Belichick. Don't say it As, like that. I mean, just poor guy. I, think about the interview that he pitched. He's like, when when they were like, "Are you gonna be moved on from next year?" It was kind of like it was Staley esque, like, but getting ready for next week, getting ready for the Chiefs, getting it's ready like, for Kansas City. It's like I know he always does that, but it's. I just don't. I can't have faith in somebody who runs the team and and has those kind of responses, those AI generated <laughs> replies to press. The Chat GPT coach. Getting ready. Yeah. Getting ready for the Chiefs. I mean, yeah, they're in Foxborough, and the Chiefs are still favored by eight and a half. Like I, there's not much to talk about in terms of who we think is going to win, but like, the ramifications, if not, are monstrous in yeah. terms of like if they lose then they might be on track to miss yeah the no i i'm not in tr- trying to discredit the fact that the implications of this game are actually very large despite the fact that the game is kind of a throwaway you know which is obvious given the fact that this is the only game they've uh what do you call it uh What's the term for when they move the game, like from a prime? Oh, time? when they got flexed out. Yeah, they flexed. The I didn't game even out. mention. Yeah, this was the first flexed out Monday night game. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that goes to show. And they how, moved it to how noon interested too. people Yikes. are in the game, but you know, I I don't think it's much of a contest. But bearing the most crazy uh, underdog, you know, upset victory of all time. Unlike the Panthers, Patrick. The Patriots, God. The Patriots do not have a reason to win. Yeah, they don't at all. <laughs> uh, 49ers at Cardinals. Another big game for draft pick. Implications, but not much else. They have reverse records. That's so fun. Um, everyone's healthy. Like, and they're going into Arizona. Like, big whoop. Um, I This kind of just feels like domination. Like, I think, yeah, they're still favored by 12 and a half. Um, I think that Kyler will look bad. And I think that this game, combined with the fact that they're still tied for top three in draft odds, will start the conversation of will they draft a quarterback anyway? Oh, man. Going against Kyler, that's bold. Why? I mean, I... I like Kyler. I like what he does on the football field. He's like a generational prospect. Uh, I, as a Cardinals fan, I'd I'd build around him. Well, I think contractually, you're kind of forced to, because he's still 
He just started a $240 million extension, and it's the kind of thing where if they don't... It's hard to trade contracts in the NFL that are that big. Mm. So I'm not... I'm not implying that they should do that unless they have to, but I am saying that when they get shellacked after this game, it's going to come up more because they will still be top three, and especially if the Bears' discourse, which makes me want to end my life, uh, continues about drafting a receiver and they are guaranteed to get one of those guys, or better yet, maybe they want to trade up and take that pick themselves so that they can get Williams. I mean, he's... Pretty close to their backyard, USC, Arizona. I mean, it would be good in the local market. It's not impossible, is all I'm going to say. Yeah, because no. the Cardinals already did this once with Rosen and Murray. So I get it that Murray is a lot more important to the franchise than Josh Rosen was, but it is in the back of my mind. Uh, commanders at Rams. The Rams feel so much better than 6-7. and seven. I mean, as somebody who watched them all last week, yeah, I agree. Their their defense, despite being just flooded with fourth and fifth rounders, has played okay relative to expectation. Not last week, mind you. Uh, Stafford looks like himself. Cup and Puka are healthy. Kyron is healthy. If everyone stays healthy... It's a credit to the Rams that, yes, the commanders are traveling to L.A. But, like, I think even five weeks ago, you might be like, oh, it's a battle of the losers. But now, I genuinely think the Rams are going to win by two touchdowns. Like, Yeah, no, I could see it. I, ever since the commanders lost to the Bears, I kind of... Yeah, they got destroyed. Yeah. While the Bears had still lost 14 in a row. Yeah. That that broke their little their little streak. And when I think about the cam- Commanders as a Ravens fan myself, I think about that time they broke the streak of the Ravens preseason wins. That was so dumb. And they celebrated so much about it. Now I'm looking at their team and I'm like, wow, I understand. I understand why you took so much pride in that win. The big Cameron Curl defender. <laughs> uh, Cowboys at Bills. Game of the week. Bills, I believe, let me double check before I say it, Bills still favored by one and a half, but that has moved in Dallas's direction. Hmm. It's in Buffalo. Yeah, I think that that's the big factor that people are considering here. That's the big factor, and, I mean, the Bills have a real home field advantage. The Cowboys are not the same team on the road. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are a few things. If Dallas wins, I think Dak is all but guaranteed to win MVP, barring absolute meltdowns in the final two games. I th- Or three, rather. I think that if the Bills win, not only is Allen back in that conversation, but they have a much better chance. This is their toughest game left. They have a much better chance of actually beating out the, the horde of teams trying to get into the wild card spots in the AFC. And I genuinely believe in the Bills. Yeah, I mean, I know you're a big believer, um, so I don't want to okay. just <laughs> piggyback off you here, but I, cl- I, you know, rightfully, honestly do believe in the Bills in this matchup. I would take them as well. 
I thought their defense would be so bad after losing because they had already lost White, but that was I mean that's normal. He's been hurt a lot the last few years, but losing Milano too, and like not even touching the Von Miller situation, but that obviously affecting even more of their defense. It they've done broadly speaking enough. I know they gave up a ton of points to the Eagles, but a lot of that was on deep shot plays that are a lot more variable than one off can happen. And, yeah. And know, that just runs up scores time. because you get a couple of deep shots to AJ Brown. Like that stuff happens. Yeah. Broadly speaking, they've held up. Did you see, there was a story about uh, Jordan Poyer. Yeah. And are, are we thinking about the same one? <laughs> I think like him doing uh, psychedelics. Oh yeah. Ayahuasca. Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, I that didn't was really... a, he, it was a really bad idea. For him to um no not that I I am hating on the the uh, the medicinal or restorative powers of that if that legitimately helps you cool, but the second he makes a bad play, like <laughs> it's like how much did he take before the game? <laughs> no, that I did not see. I only saw the story. No, it hasn't happened yet. I'm saying that the second that he misses a tackle or doesn't pick a pass he should there's just gonna be a thousand of them <laughs> i mean yeah no I, we we kind of have to see it coming after you know cool what, story. what happened cool story just you know as a bears fan i'm sure you know your fan base probably had a lot of fun with the aaron Rodgers use of iowa we still do yeah and, and of course it well, was and, aaron Rodgers putting it's... on jordan poyer hey man uh, take some ayahuasca he did put them on they live a lot closer to each other now yeah um I mean, every fan base is more brutal to their own players, where I know for, I think, my my dad and I was Chris Conti. Oh, no. Later, I remember him. Bus, Buccaneers legend, Chris Conti, who I think was on the Super Bowl team, if I remember correctly, which blew my mind. That's anyway. crazy. Ravens at Jags. Uh, still Hobbard Lawrence. Shocked he played that game. They put up 27, but he had... Some bad picks that were representative of a guy who can barely run. Uh, yeah, it's in Jacksonville, but I mean, like, I'll clear the floor for you. I don't really have any doubts about the Ravens here. Yeah, I mean, this is actually a really important game for the Ravens, um, whether people know it or not. They have a really stacked lineup against them, or schedule, I should say. Going forward, it's going to be uh, the Niners, then the dolphins and then the steelers which you know that shouldn't be too much of a problem but uh here we have a matchup against the jags and this will pretty much all but solidify a playoff spot for the ravens which is going to be huge mm. i mean i get that it's a lot on the line for the jags as well but this would be a great confidence boosting win i mean it has huge implications for them too because they're just going to fall closer to the especially if the colts win they will be tied. Yeah. And that would be huge implications in the AFC South where if Lawrence can't be 100% um, down the stretch, like, they they might give it up. And I know it, it sucks because I was talking about it a couple of weeks ago where they had a chance at the, uh, at the number one seed, but, and this Ravens game was really the only tough one. Uh, I mean, the Bucks are okay, but their next three games after this are at the Buccaneers, at home versus the Panthers, and at the Titans, which are all winnable. Just it's harder with a hurt Lawrence. And 
at eight and five, unless they win this game, which I don't think I'm out of bounds saying we don't think they're going to, that unless they win this game, there's no shot that they get the number one seed. Yeah. Beating I, the Ravens would gain them ground and make it a lot more feasible, but... Give them a lot of confidence going forward as well. Yeah, but I mean, it would be huge. I just Confidence that both the teams need at this point. I mean, the Ravens, they, they need all the help. They could get all the mental and physical str- like strength that they could possibly muster up for the 49ers because that's going to be a tough game. Of course. That, I mean, that's the differentiator for the Ravens at minimum. Like, anyway, Monday Night Football, Eagles at Seahawks. It's going to be, the Eagles are in such a weird spot with how bad their defense has been lately and how streaky Hurts is despite all their weapons and just the discourse coming out of that Cowboys game where, honestly, I think they kind of got off a little more scot-free than I would have expected, where it was a lot more focused on how good the Cowboys are than how badly the Eagles got beat. I think that, well, A, they have to keep winning because if they lose this game, they are going to lose the, the NFC East. I think it's fair to say. Dallas has a tougher schedule down the stretch, but them winning out, I believe, secures them the division win. But if they lose this game and Dallas goes into Buffalo and beat them, not only will Dallas take the top spot, I don't think they're going to relinquish it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, Dallas just beat the Eagles themselves. So exactly. That kind of solidifies proof for a lot of people that they are the best team in the East. So it's always, which is fair. It's just going to come down to these last couple games and how, how the Eagles are going to be able to maintain their dominance. I'm going to put you on the spot and ask, who do you think that the number one seeds are going to end up being in both conferences? Ooh. Uh, I mean, you know what I'm going to say for the AFC. I do. Uh, I'm going to say the Ravens uh, because of... Do you think... Okay, do you think that this is, like, unbiased, the best chance that they've had with Lamar? Uh, in terms of uh, making a run at it? Yeah. I'd say 100%. I mean, the AFC, AFC isn't as strong as it was in, like, 2019 when you had teams like Patriots, Titans, Chiefs going at it. And this year, I think that everyone in the AFC is very, very beatable for the Ravens. And he has a insane defense, probably one of the best defenses the Ravens have ever had. So and I the, absolutely love what I'm seeing from that team. And then on the NFC. On the NFC? I I mean, I just said it, so I'm going to have to go with the Cowboys here. Uh, okay. I, I hope it's not just my intrinsic bias going towards that pick because I don't want to see the Eagles. The but you'd rather pick. have the Cowboys? Uh, I mean, cause that, that's better. That's, tr- that's really tough to say. I, I don't really like the Cowboys either, but I do like Dak and what I've been seeing through from him, from CD lamb, uh, from the defense in in a large capacity, I really like. So, I mean, in terms of deserving it the most, I'm going to say the Cowboys. I don't know if that's how it's going to play out. Deserving but, it. Yeah, no, I mean, Cowboys I, don't deserve shit. <laughs> Anyway, I, I mean, I, in, in terms of talent and just how well they've been playing. 
not in terms of like their fan base and, and all that. Fair. I I agree on the Ravens. I'm gonna stick with the Niners, barring injury. I think the Cowboys have been great, but I still think they're a notch below them. Yeah, because I, I think everyone is a notch below them. I think the the Niners are also up there for best team, but it's like I I just haven't really forgotten about those few couple weeks when they lost to like Josh Dobbs and. It, it's hard not to, but I mean Williams is out, and I know you you can't blame everything on one player, but. He is the best tackle in the league. Yeah. So I completely hear you. And for the most part, I agree with you. I just think that when it comes down, horns locking horns, that the Niners are going to win the Super Bowl. And that's really all it comes down to when I'm trying to figure out who I think is going to win their conference. I'm going to pick the team that I think is going to win the whole thing. Fair enough. I don't think that we have anything else today. Thank you for everyone for listening. I will be off next week going up to Michigan with my my lovely girlfriend Ashley who I've been with with a year who I love very much and so I'm looking forward to a lot uh Brendan what do you got going on the next week um just seeing some family I mean I I have a lot of work going on I've been scheduled a, a good few times down here good. so I'm gonna be in the city you know just hanging around working on the podcast lifting doing my thing and then after that just you know, spending time with family as we all should. So right on. all the all the viewers out there, wish the best for you. Happy holidays. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Brendan, as always. And I will talk to you next time. Peace.